GM Friends. It is Tokenomics number 20, big number 20. A massive guest today, Ko Kim, head of ecosystem at Miston Labs, former uh, biz dev at Google Play Games. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. I'm, I'm excited to have you today. Um, could we just start out, you know, uh, going a little bit through uh, your history and your background in gaming? Oh, man, where should I start? I think like it's probably going to be more than 10 years ago by this point. I was like thinking, I was like, think, uh, well, I think as a uh, growing up, I was always a big, like big video game player. I mean, I was like on the all the text RPGs. This is totally going to date me. It's like all this other stuff. It's OK. Then, I talk um, about guess... old ass games all the time. Yeah, I, want, I was just kind of like, oh, yeah, anyone remember uh, Oregon Trail and the Apple, you know, like that yeah. kind of thing? Um, but but yeah, like I think like in terms of like my first entry into like the gaming world as like a professional, um, I think it was at Google like long, it's like 2010, no, 2011, I think was when um, I actually had my first taste of games. I was actually on the Chrome team. Um, I don't know if you remember uh bastion the game but like i think uh, i was like i, I have actually... fond memories of bastion that's a fantastic yeah, game so um but yeah like we were running a demo to run c plus plus in chrome the browser at the time and bastion was one of the demos long time ago within chrome and so like i think that was like so a lot of like what i did at google initially was kind of think through like how we utilize or work with game companies to like kind of showcase demos technology how to integrate a lot of the google stuff because they didn't really have like an official like way of I would say engaging with the video game community and industry from a more of a business like technology partnerships level. A lot of it was focused on advertising, right? I mean, it's not, not like no, no surprise to that. Right. For right. a lot of that, but yeah, it was kind of like among some of the first initiatives. And I think from there I've been to product to product really focused on, I guess, yeah, I was known as the gaming person back then. <laughs> so I went from Chrome to Google plus RIP and then finally to Android. I, I had, I don't know if you know this, play. I had one of the launch games on Google Plus. Oh, really? Uh, I've, yeah, we've Dragon. probably worked together. It's a, wow, that was long, that's crazy. That's a long time ago. Uh, so, um, yeah, Dragon, Dragon Age Legends, we had high hopes for Google Plus reinvigorating that game. Womp womp. Uh, womp womp, but... But yeah, it's kind of, I mean, that's like a great thing as a union, you, know, you can have great technology, but if you don't have distribution, it's like kind of like a heart that runs out, right? So I think with that, and then I went into Google Play, which actually rebranded from Android Market. Um, so I was like my ex-manager, Bob Meese, and I at the time that kind of started that team um, from the ground. And then, yeah, and I think we have stayed for a few years and helped expand it into a lot of the international markets, especially in Asia, like started the Korea team. Um, the person I eventually hired an HQ ended up being the Taiwan lead. So like yeah, a lot of like a lot of exciting things. And, you know, I, I definitely was in Korea during the time of all those messenger games. I don't know if you remember Kakao, but yeah, mm -hmm. all of that stuff. Remember, oh, I saw a lot of that. So it's always interesting to be in like a lot of these markets where a lot of these innovations and all that occurring. This episode is brought to you by Data AI. Yes, they were called App Annie back in the day, but let's not talk about that. Let's talk about how Data AI is the first company to combine consumer and market data with the power of artificial intelligence. And Data AI does this to unlock unique consumer and market insight to accelerate competitive advantages across all digital channels worldwide. What we here at Deconstructor Fund really like is Data AI's Game IQ tool. 
It's this fantastic market and competitive intelligence tool for mobile gaming that allows publishers to really get to the feature level of a game without doing a full-on deconstruction first. Using this tool, your team can quickly tie features to performance KPIs, which will help you make difficult roadmap decisions. It's also a great tool to identify hidden growth opportunities as you can analyze games on a scale. As you well know, there are hundreds of thousands of gaming apps in the App Store and thousands of new mobile games released each month. And while we don't want you to stop reading and listening to Deconstructor Fun, the fact is we can't cover it all. With Data AI, and especially their Game IQ tool, you'll be able to efficiently determine what features provide a lift, make roadmap decisions based on accurately modeled expected outcomes, discover how competitors lifted performance through feature releases, benchmark performance against your competitors, focus with confidence on the highest potential genre for a new game release. We here at Deconstructor Fun are huge fans of Data AI, so what are you waiting for? Go to Data AI and try the service for free. It was like, it was, I was noticing more and more people that I've respected and I've like really enjoyed talking to. And I thought are some of the smartest builders, even in the game industry space, like either talking more about web three or actually deciding to, I'm going to go build a game studio and become the next supercell of web three. Right. And so like, and, you know, like, I think that was like a March shift, right? Because I was around for the last 2018, like, bear market. And back then, it was like crypto kitties, but no, like, real game company or developer was really building games back then. And then I think the difference in this kind of in the last recent years is that I just saw more and more, like, really experienced industry veterans, especially from the free-to-play mobile space, like cross-platform space, kind of jumping in. And so I think that was, like, one, a big single because you always want to follow the people. And then I think, too, it was just like there were I think it was I think what was interesting about Mistin Labs in particular was that like even for all the game companies I advise, you know, help them launch on Solana, Polygon, Ethereum, like, you know, like kind of looking at that. I mean, it was always an infrastructure problem. I think like every a layer one chain had their own limitations, even if they had a great community. And so I think from there was like if this was really going to scale, like the infra layer needs to be solved first. And actually, that's kind of how I got to meet. Evan, because I was asking all of my smart builder friends, well, who do you think is the smartest person or like someone you respect playing in this space? And I think my uh, my uh, questions have pointed towards the current CEO. So, got it. So, um, I know that before you joined Mistin, uh, you when we talked previously, you said there were a couple Web two game companies that you helped move Web mm-hmm. two to Web three and help. Uh, launch their PFPs or, or get their projects together. Mm-hmm. So what are some of the projects that you've helped and, and what was your involvement um, in them? Yeah. So I think the first one that I got back in touch with was Lucky Cat Studios. And so they did a lot of hyper casual games on iOS um, and Android, um, the studio based in uh, the Netherlands. So um, so I helped them launch PanzerDoc. So we were initially refing on this, I think it was like last year. Yeah, last year, more than a year ago. I think like right, I think about a month from now, we probably I think today was probably the day we launched the Discord server now. That I think about it, which is kind of crazy. So uh so they're in they're kind of that's, like thinking that's about why we scheduled this. this for today. The the one year anniversary <laughs> yeah. of Panzer Dogs. We all we Yeah, right. I was like one year anniversary this. of Panzer Dogs. I was like, maybe we're off by a week, but it's pretty close. Close enough. So um, and yeah, they were just kind of ripping and they wanted to make, I mean, they knew the iOS like privacy shift really, really affected their user acquisition. So they knew they had to change their strategy. And so like, they're very curious about Web3. I talked to them for a bit because, you know, they've recently discovered I've been making content about how I think about the gaming space. And, uh, and like, and then, yeah, we're just like, they're saying, hey, we want to launch this NFT. 
um, and this collection? Do you think it can help us? And I was like, you know what? Let's just try it. So it's kind of like, let's just try it. Let's see if my, you know, like, let's see if like some of the skills and experience helps. And lo and behold, within six weeks, we went from zero to fully sold out mint in 15 minutes that raised around $2 million. Like at the time, well, what Solana raised, which is kind of insane, craze. I know those were the days. It was great timing if you think about it. So, yeah. Um, and then uh, the next project was uh, Skate X, which was basically a Web three version of Tony Hawk. I don't know if you remember Tony Hawk skateboarding. So, um, so they're trying to make a metaverse world of skateboard, like a skateboarding metaverse game. So these are like some of the X uh, Kabam um, Kabam guys, and so and like and so. Help them launch their first launch set, um, kind of most, but mostly giving them advice. Where with Lucky Cat, I was more in the trenches. I was the one doing the community management. It was pretty funny, honestly. So and like you know, hosting the socials, pushing it, doing all the messaging, and I kind of packed that together and helped this um, the Skate X team um, kind of think through like how do you hire your community manager? How do you like how do you set the tone? How do you like kind of structure and do your messaging and so i helped them do that and then their first mint sold out too um and like i think a lot of it was like you know a lot and you know there's something to be said about the power of influencers and content creators especially those that are very like i think well respected in the space so those are two of the examples i've also like there's some other like um, projects that i've helped just mostly kind of setting the tone like i'm an advisor on azure games um also gameplay galaxy and then there's a few more that are kind of in stealth too so but it's like exciting on top of my day job <laughs> so um but yeah what are um you know when you're working with these experienced uh web 2 developers and, and helping them transition to web 3 what are some of the lessons or, or philosophies you bring to them uh, to help make that a successful transition mm-hmm. i think it's for a lot of these web 2 companies they're not i don't I, they haven't really thought about like building out their community or really thinking about their target player base. Like usually you build the game and then you test it in like, you know, kind of like an emerging market and make sure your attention numbers are okay. And then you kind of go, go. And then after, when you get to launch, that's when they start thinking about like who their player is, how do they message them and kind of do more of the community work. Um, In the web three world, you're pulling up a lot of that community management and development work very early, like literally sometimes in pre-production. And I think that's the biggest adjustment. A lot of these web two teams often struggle. And I want to say it's struggle, but it's definitely a like definitely a shift in like how you think about things because they're used to like kind of like being like, I got to get the game prototype out. Right. And so but they're not necessarily thinking about, well, how do I prepare to talk to a potential player that may actually have given them some value of money and then now they have to remember they have to continue to engage them right and so so like before the game may be ready and sometimes a game may be ready like a year or two later right so i think that was like the biggest shift and challenge for a lot of these companies so yeah i think that's a huge challenge especially if you do a minting far far Mm -hmm. ahead of having any i mean oh yeah there are many projects that i've got nfts for or i passed on nfts for where you know, it's months or years, there's still no utility or gameplay or anything. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I personally lose interest, but it's, it's a real challenge, um, to, of timing and attention of staffing and staffing to keep, to build and right. keep a community engaged, um, and have it properly timed for when you actually have something they can do with their stuff. 
Yeah, no, for sure. And it's 24-7, right? I think, like, being in Web3 crypto, like, I think a lot of people forget about the velocity of which the industry changes. I mean, like, we were, I mean, if you think about last week, no one was talking about FTX, right? All right, I'm glad to bring it up. But yeah. as, like, a joke, I know, I'm, like, kind of, like, but the, uh, but it's, like, it's just how fast this industry moves. And so, like, I think, like, I think thinking about, um, like gaming, right? Like, you know, I always thought free to play mobile cross platform gaming was the fastest industry out there, right? Like, I was like, I could not think of anything more difficult to do, like distribution strategy, like building a good experience and all that stuff compared to a free to play game, if you think about it. So then I moved into crypto. And then I was like, Oh, wow, all the things that I would expect it to have, like developer tools, services, like, you know, like user acquisition, all the things. Now I got to go to a web app. That's like very hard. I was like, right. I was like, wow, there's like nothing here. So this is literally wild west. So, yeah. um, so I think it's that's what, what's been really what interesting. Kind of coming in. Yeah. It yeah. makes it exciting. It also is, uh, very challenging when you're like, uh, when mm-hmm. everything changes so fast. Um, right. And when, you know, the, the plane is being built as we're all trying to take off in it. Um, so okay. tell me, you know, we touched on this a little bit, but tell us about Miston Labs. Uh, what what is Miston Labs? What's its mission, and and why did you join up? Mm-hmm. So Miston Labs is a um, they are a Web three infrastructure company. Um, so they're the team behind Sui, uh, which is the layer one chain that is currently out in DevNet. And so the vision is is kind of thinking about like what would it be like if AWS, Google Cloud, you know. Um, I would even say like Azure, you know, all these cloud services like decided to be a decentralized web stack, right? So the first product, you start off with the lowest layer, which is settlement layer, which is SWE, um, because there's a big belief that there's a lot of limitations in blockchain in order for Web3 to truly like disrupt and reach like billions of people. We have to solve the, infra- the lowest layer, which is the infrastructure layer first. So um, so that's what Missing Labs is all about. I always like to lovingly call them the DARPA of Web3 infrastructure because like, I feel like I am literally in a Skunkworks R&D group, which makes sense because the founders teams are kind of like from the core R&D org from Facebook Novi and, um, or Meta uh, Novi. They're basically the crypto unit. So, um, so yeah, it's like it's been pretty exciting so far. Joined the company in January. Pretty sure it was less than 15 people at the time. And now we're like around 100 and uh, yeah, and that's coming off and like we're still surviving and building, right? Even despite all the crazy turns going on. So, <laughs> so. Yeah. Um, you know, Miston's raised a ton. I, I think there was a $300 million raise and then recently an announcement of a, a $15 million investment from uh, NetEase, right? Um, it's actually 300 total, and it was from NCSoft, and NCSoft okay. was NCSoft, a participant I apologize in the to NCSoft. Yeah, yeah, no a, a great uh, Korean uh, free-to-play mm-hmm. game maker and publisher. Um, what What is it that gives these investors such uh, confidence in uh, Mistin and its vision for where mm-hmm. blockchain is going? I think the biggest thing is is like. A lot of the a lot of the game companies, I think for so far, I mean, like we wanted to truly I think the next stage of the Internet is about how do we represent assets, right, um, within like in a digital realm. And if you think about assets themselves, they always change value depending on the context, the background, maybe the history, maybe, you know, like a lot of stuff. Right. There's a lot of variables that could go into this particular asset that um, would cause it to change value depending on what stage of time and all that stuff. And if you think about a lot of blockchain technology currently, right, like 
it's really just a verified ownership record. So, and you think about like, and it was really, blockchain was really designed to like kind of think, they were originally designed to address like payments between banks, right? Or payments between users. Because if you think about it, if I send you like $10, I really hope that $10 does not change, right? At any point in the life, right? Because if I pay you something, it should remain fixed. But I think if you're talking about an asset, like a transfer asset, right? Like in a lot of existing blockchain infrastructure, it's really hard to, you know, make that you know, make that transact or make that basically the object of the asset, like really truly be make the behaviors like an asset. So I think what SWE does, that's very different from a lot of existing blockchain infrastructures is because it's changing, it's turning everything that's like every, everything is now an object, right? That could be a wallet, that could be an NFT, that could be fungible tokens, that could be a lot of things. So they're not objects now, right? So whereas before where they're literally like transactions within a block, but or like they're transactions, but at least like, kind of little layers of block, but because we're modeling everything as an object, that means objects also have relation, relation, they have relationships that are connected to each other, right? You can define relationships or you can define metadata against like each of the objects. So an object, you can actually, you can have an object and say, okay, attribute one is red, attribute two is red, and you can actually program that in. And then you can also program logic into it to say, hey, this object should only show up if they fulfill this criteria, right? And what's really cool about this object framework for data, and I know this is going to get really heavy if you think about it, is, is that like, it means that in our blockchain, we're able to like, the, the nodes themselves are able to kind of classify each, like wh what relationships are exist between different objects and also group them in a way, right? So if certain objects have no relationship with each other, they don't depend on each other for ordering or for consensus. So what it does is paralyze a lot of the consensus stuff Whereas in the existing blockchain, it doesn't matter if an if like let's say an NFT has nothing to do with this NFT, they still have to be ordered together. But in our world, like that's actually separated, which means we can do parallelization across like all the different um, kind of different like types of objects or transactions that need to be confirmed. And with that, like we're also not waiting on the lowest common denominator. Everything can move in parallel to like through like I would say like once they with the ordering done they can reach consensus and then push to the Merkle tree instead of waiting for the entire log of transactions to finish ordering. So this is like was like a key like technology difference I think compared to a lot of existing blockchain infrastructures that were out there and I think that's what got a lot of the game companies excited because a it's like oh like you can theoretically hit horizontal scaling but of course like you know it's not proven yet but it's like but theoretically you can but I think really it's about these the ability to model these assets as dynamic objects because that's something they're used to from the gaming world and you can do it in a lot less code compared to Solidity or Rust on Solana so got it so what are what are some of the um how do we make this tangible uh for people who aren't uh -huh. as, as deep into uh right. blockchain for us what are what are some of the uh solutions um, this SWE blockchain brings, it sounds like, I mean, uh, faster transaction times, ability to upgrade, mm -hmm. help, help, help us make it uh, yeah. tangible for people. Yeah, yeah. So I think like, let's take a few examples, right? Actually, you brought up some interesting examples too. So I think let's take the upgradable object or the changing asset, right? So um, let's say someone, we have a sword, let's say you're in an MMORPG, probably picked up an item, right? That item is probably has some probability of showing up within the game. So you can define that as an object. Now you're crafting. Let's say you have a gem, you have some power-ups, or the sword, or you fought with the. Let's say you fight with the sword, and you have level, your experience points being gathered, right? So um, in the existing blockchain world, if you ex gather experience points, all of that metadata doesn't exist on the chain, and it usually exists in another database, like usually a private database. 
on our chain, you can collect all of those experience points and attach it to that object, which is a sword. Now, let's say you're adding, you're combining, let's say, two swords, or you're trying to like merge, right? Um, in the existing blockchain world, if you're trying to merge two things, usually you have to burn two NFTs and create a new NFT. What happens with that is you actually lose all the, because you're burning the old ones, you're losing all the history associated with those particular NFTs. They just, they just disappear, right? And it's just like a new NFT. Um, in our world, you can combine the objects and then that recognizes that as a combined object as a new object, but you still retain all the history and all the actions that were associated with this particular like kind of object. So I think that's what's really cool is that you get to see all that history and what happens, right? Like if you think about a house, right? Um, another example is I like to talk about houses because I just, you know, like I like buying and renovating houses. And so if you buy a house and let's say you... Um, you like basically, you know, you installed a new roof. You you basically took out all the fixtures inside because it was from the seventies, and so you made everything modern and etc. And then you sell it, right? So in the existing blockchain, all you're selling is the um, is the certificate that you own it, right? So it's basically all right, you own the freaking house, but it shows none of the changes or the updates you made it that increase the value of that house. In our world, you can say, oh, this actually has a new roof. This actually has like new fixtures and they cost this much, right? And oh, they also painted the walls like a different color because before it was like some ugly wallpaper. So I think like, and that can actually be modeled on SWE. And then that's what people will see. They can see that in the Explorer and the history that all those changes were made in the past. Whereas on existing blockchains, unless you can know where the, the other stuff is, you're going to have to like, there's no way you're going to know that. So that's kind of like mm -hmm. another example for not taking it. So if I'm... So. So it, it sounds like uh, a big part of why you are building a new layer one and uh, what this layer one brings to the table is that it allows for things to operate much more like we're used to. So like in, in the current um, uh, offerings that are out there, if I had a hero uh, card that I sold, uh, I've got... Mm -hmm. uh, and it's it's levels from level one to level three hundred, and it goes from one star to fifteen star. Um, the NFT is it, uh, the NFT can't change itself. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So what's happening is uh, all that data. When I get it, it's basically the card. The NFT is the container for it, um, but it really just in inside the game points to a traditional AWS database or right. some other database exactly. that contains mm -hmm. all my other game information. And as I level, as I level that hero up, my NFT itself isn't changing in any way. Right. It's just pointing to a traditional database that's changing. Um, mm -hmm. And the only thing that the NFT is really doing is serving as a, a receipt that proves my digital ownership of this set of database uh private database data. So it sounds like on Ensuite, yeah. uh, you're bringing all that uh, into your, you're writing, you're creating the chain in a way that, that the NFT can contain all that data, all those updates and all that history. Recent changes in the app stores are boon to mobile game developers. Now, you can sell in-game items and currencies with big savings on transaction fees. And Exola just added three new features to their web shop for mobile game solution to help you level up your monetization practices outside the app stores. The three solutions are subscriptions, 
analytics, and promotions. Now, subscriptions are a smart add to your mobile revenue strategy. They boost game revenue with predictability while maintaining a lawyer user base. Analytics give you data, and data has become fuel on which modern society runs. If you don't know your players, you won't know what they want or how to get them to click that buy button. Analyze your data so you can create critical piece of the purchasing puzzle. Finally, promotions allow you to easily reach out to opt-in players via email or Discord and other channels to bring them to your web shop on your website. You'll be able to generate new sales and keep more profit. To find how to get started, visit exola.pro slash mobile or go to the link in this podcast description. You get to control who has access to what, because guess what? It's like you can program that logic in. It's pretty easy. So it's not like automatic, right? So um, so I think yeah, I think that's what's really exciting, right? We're giving a lot more control and flexibility to these, you know, to these developers who can now like enact the vision that they originally wanted to do instead of feeling so limited by what's available. Got it. Are there other advantages or, or differences you'd point to as as to why a, a web three dev like me would want to work? on SWE as opposed to the immutables or Saladas or, or avalanches mm-hmm. of the world? Yeah, I think like, it's kind of like, I think like outside of the ease, I think one of the things I often talk about is we use a different language called SWE Move. Um, it is a different smart contract programming language. Um, it is, or the origins are based on Rust, but it's not completely Rust, but it's a little bit different from Solidity. And um, we do, we think one big problem with Web3, especially development, is actually the accessibility, but accessibility to developers. Not, I mean, there's an end user problem too, but I think really to developers, if you think about Solidity developers and like what they have to do, because like the way those languages were originally designed, right, they actually had to be security engineers. So if you think about like the amount of code you'd have to think about for a game company um, and the amount that they have to audit, it does put themselves at risk, right? But they have no way to control it because even let's say they have some sort of like malicious code or something that shouldn't be there, the code still runs in solidity anyway, right? It doesn't stop or like anything if they find something that's wrong. Whereas in SWE Move, which is the, or it's a variant of Move that we use that was originally out of the, out of the kind of Facebook Novi group, is um, it's like if something is, everything is defined, right? Because we basically approach this language from an, being an asset. And if there's certain functions that are not recognizable or not make sense, the code's not going to run, which is actually a pretty int- cool security feature and safety feature to some extent. Because a lot of these DeFi hacks happen because like either someone missed the audit or someone missed the review and the code runs anyway. Where in our scenario, the code won't run if it's doing something that it's not supposed to do. And I think in addition to that, the amount of code that you have to write to like enable a lot of these kind of object, dynamic object, like relationships and like these interactions takes a lot less code than what you're going to see in some of these other blockchains. So. Got it. Yeah, ease of ease of development is a a big advantage. I mean, going back to what I was saying about um, uh, Google uh, Google Plus gaming back when when I was building games in in Flash for Facebook and, and mm-hmm. Google Plus, I remember um, fighting over trying to hire the same you know pool of twenty thirty experienced Flash game developers oh, that every yeah. other company was trying to hire. And like, uh, it was, it was, uh, we had a lot more advantage, uh, success at EA instead of trying to hire from the small pool of existing Mm -hmm. AS3 Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. uh, action script three programmers taking smart programmers and saying, okay, well, take some time and learn action script and mm-hmm. you'll be a little bit slower than you would, but you'll learn. Um, and I think that, you know, I'm, I'm feeling a lot of that right now in the current space where um, there are so few people who are experienced in Rust programming or uh, Solidity yeah. programming or that have any experience in that and also have experience in traditional yeah. game development. It's a very development. small pool. It's very a small, small pool. pool. There's not the pool. Yeah. Yeah. So. And, and so anything that a, a platform or an ecosystem can do to make it easy for for us to take existing smart people and teach them this new, make it easy for them to pick it up is, is a big advantage, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, for sure. And I think that's kind of like the view that we're kind of lens from is kind of like, well, why is it that not that many web, like smart, sorry, smart contract developers exist, right? It's just, it was very onerous and it was a lot of responsibility. And I was like, okay, now I wonder, now I understand why no one wants to be a, like, or at least like, there's not a lot of them. It's a lot of, it's a lot of risks that you're taking on. So, um, and so, yeah, so I think for first thing, it's really about, yeah, like as an ecosystem, we're trying to address the developer accessibility, how they learn language. Um, we're working on building out a lot of libraries and like, you know, like it's with gaming in mind, um, in terms of, um, like what's commonly used so we can give them really easy things to like kind of use as inspo and then put them into their game. So we're really trying to hard to kind of build out a lot of those use cases too. So what are, you know, in your role, um, both before you joined and then now is kind of the head of the ecosystem, ecosystem development, what are some of the common pitfalls you see as experienced game developers start moving from web two to web three? Yeah, I think uh, underestimating the compliance work that's involved, like a lot of the regulatory work. Um, mm-hmm. I think, like, I often joke, I was like, you know, uh, you're going to raise that money and probably one third of it's going to legal fees and then they are shocked. And then I was like, no, like, I, I, I'm like, you you need, like, two opinions because I think, like, a lot of people underestimate the regulatory. Of, I mean, it's crypto moves fast, but there's a lot of uncertainty because... yeah every country in the world regulates it differently, right? Or has no regulation, just depends, yeah. right? Why, varying degrees of regulation. So I think that's definitely one that I think catches a lot of these teams off guard. Um, it's a lot easier if you're outside the U.S. personally versus inside the U.S. for sure, in terms of like kind of thinking through that. And then I think it's just also like, there's some complexity that's added when you have to now consider like when value is now taken out of the game, right? So if you think about like the games up until this point, everything was really focused on once a player puts the money in, right? It never really comes out ever, right? It just kind of stays within the gaming kind of the, you know, the Chris, the bubble, the glass, you know, the glass ball. If there's any transfer of value, it's gray market account. Right. Yeah. It's all gray market. And so, but then if you have to think about how your economy has to be redesigned, right, because now you potentially have a currency or something that or something of value that can be taken out. Right. So I think like it does affect how users think about LTVs and all that stuff, because now you have to take into account. Well, there's now some stretch. There's now you have to think about net LTV because maybe some per, some percentage of it is going to come out. Um, so I think a lot of people underestimate like the amount of I mean, we understand free to play economy just balancing is like very hard now imagine now you got to balance the outward the outward stuff going out than that which is like a little bit complicated too so yeah i think the, the, like the, the big legal, thing the the legal one Guys. is is a good point um especially because 
it's not like you're you could easily spend all all your money just getting different opinions and trying to find someone to tell you the thing you want to hear and the thing is until the um until regulations are more settled in some of the major countries um there isn't going it's it's never going to be anything better than like look this is the best opinion we can give you at the time mm-hmm. and you know things mm-hmm. will change and nobody knows and so there's there's a lot um you could have infinite conversations trying to understand all the risks that exist it's uh mm-hmm. again it's part of what makes it scary but part of what makes it exciting as well mm-hmm. yeah no for sure i mean it's not for everyone so um so like i would definitely say was like oh like there's a lot of things that I've kind of underestimated kind of going in. Right. So, um, but I'm having a lot of fun. I'm learning a lot. And that's like, and I think that's what's kind of, and it's like, I haven't felt this refreshed in a very long time. Um, mm. So, so like, especially I think the, it was like, I think this really feels like early mobile, you know, back in like when iOS, like the first app store, all that came out. Do you remember? It was like 3G, 3GS. Yeah. So that's what it feels like right now. So yeah. um, if it works, it'd be awesome works well i mean i had a good i'm gonna have a, some good stories to tell right so it's like right. um you said that sui is currently on um uh in on testnet like what's what's the development roadmap look oh, we're like? in when devnet. are we gonna start not testnet yet but oh, sorry sorry devnet so like what's what's the roadmap look like um where is the chain in its life cycle when are we gonna start seeing games uh playable on it uh, yeah, no, for sure. So, like, I mean, we have, like, a lot of prototypes. Like, we have some games, like, companies testing a few things right now um, on our DevNet. Um, so, TestNet, obviously, that's the next big milestone. Um, is coming up soon, I promise you. And then um, and then after that, like, I mean, based on TestNet, and, like, TestNet is really about testing our, I think, like, um, like the scaling, a lot of the performance, um, stability. And so, and I think based on our TestNet performance, we're going to have a much better idea when our mainnet comes around. But, you know, this this engineering team is, like, a crack engineering team. Like, I have never seen, like, this is, like, probably the smartest, like, hot, like, literally A-plus quality, like, engineering group I've ever seen, like, at, like, <laughs> like a startup this size. And so um, I'm pretty excited about, like, when we're ready, we're going to be ready. So I think, like, to some extent, we're probably lucky to be in our position because we're not, like, you know, affected by a lot of the – well – still affected by the macro but i mean we can learn from what other others have done right so um what sort of developers are you looking for who is it you know what what stage are you looking uh to work with people in um who what are the qualities of someone who should be you know reaching out uh wanting to start uh getting access to sweet um well, we work with a pretty wide range of teams, I would say. Um, I mean, in our Series B close, I mean, we've announced that we're working with Netmarble, which um, is a very big uh, yeah. Korean gaming, especially in the free-to-play mobile gaming world, right? They have a Seven seven Deadly Sins, which I think is a... I forgot what their ARR is. I think it was like... Or lifetime revenue, I think it was around the billions, uh, so globally. And yeah. so, like, and they're working on a kind of like a a blockchain project that we're working with um, to kind of serve to basically power their, uh, their kind of like some of a few of their portfolio titles, um, which is in constant discussion on like, which ones we want to go out with first. Um, but then we also work with like some emerging titles. I mean, a really talented pool, like some come from X riot. I mean, like either like the known suspects of the kind of gaming world, but then there's others that are kind of coming in new. So I think like we're here to support any builder coming in with like a very ambitious vision, but of course, like, 
I think like the those the teams that are best positioned to really succeed are like are those that come from the free to play cross platform world. So um, because I think that's almost going to be the closest analog to how you'd want to think about the games. And I also think like the where we're going to see like Web three gaming really hit is like it's going to be. I think it's just going to be a free to play game that integrates a lot of Web three elements because I don't think there's any way you're going to beat a free to play onboarding experience. So I don't care what people right. say. I mean, current current Web three gaming that are like, I need a wallet plus token or NFT is kind of crazy. So I don't know how they're going to get their UA done with that. So yeah, um, let's. Oh, I I remember when we talked uh, previously. Uh, that was something we we had mentioned too. Do you have any thoughts on how UA is going to change for Web three or how uh, it could change? In, yeah, in a oh, that's a doozy. Way? Yeah, it's a that's a doozy. Well, I think like when I have to think about the, and I'm sure we have lots of stories time. When I have to think about the what happened in the mobile UA space, right? I remember all the different ad networks and like, it was really hard to do attribution, right? Cause you have no idea. Like this ad network could be probably taking someone else's inventory, right? For all you know. And so mm-hmm. I think it was just like, and then if you think about like the content creator meta, right? Of using these YouTubers as um, means to, you know, drive um, installs. Like it was really hard to attribute whether the install came from them, right? Because if you think about the, the, at least the U- the UX of that, right? Like no one's going to click on the link. They're just going to search for the game on the app store and then install, right? So it was really hard to kind of measure. So like, I think like when I think about like, I think it's a huge opportunity. I think there's like, what's kind of cool about the Web3 world is everything is transparent. Everything is public. Everything's on the blockchain, right? I think what's going to get interesting is if, if there are companies that figure out how to how to like attach all of that data on a user level, and then create like these user level databases of which like these particular users can kind of go in and be like, Hey, like my day, I understand the value of my data and there's certain parts of it you may find valuable. Can I like, you know, broker this in any way and they almost become the, you know, and then they kind of pull together. So I think there's really interesting new models to be discovered in that. But yeah, the entire stack needs to be built, right? Like if you compare the web three gaming stack to the, um, or at least the, and the UA stack to the, traditional one it's like there's like nothing so i think that's what's going to be really cool like as kind of companies try and figure that out so yeah i think that'll be really interesting to see um what what new tools or or methods uh get built uh what new ad networks Mm -hmm. exist it's it's a huge part of uh of understanding what goes into building a big success like seven deadly sins Mm -hmm. right yeah for sure um, great. So, you know, if, if someone's been listening and, and they're, uh, excited about, you know, kind of the vision of SWE and what it brings to the table for them as a developer, um, and they want to get involved, how should they reach out? Uh, there's a couple ways you can, I mean, you can follow us on Twitter. It's, uh, I think it's at SWE Network now. We changed it. So that's S-U-I-N-E-T-W-O-R-K. Um, or, I mean, I'm also on Twitter too. Um, it's Kokim, K-O-H-K-I-M. Um, feel free to send me a DM and then, yeah, like, and we can take from there. Super easy. So yeah, it's like the easiest way. Wonderful. Well, you, you heard it here. If you want to get, uh, developing with, uh, Miston, just slide into Ko's dms so I slide in my dms that's i mean give me your pitch right so, <laughs> so. Right. awesome well thanks so much for coming this was great all right thank you so much you did it you made it to the end of the episode as a fan of the show it would help us out if you subscribe and leave us a review on the podcast service of your choice more importantly are you a member of the deconstructor fund slack group 
If you have five years or more of games industry experience, go to deconstructoroffun.com slash slack and apply to join. Join the games industry's best professional community filled with peers always willing to lend a hand. Or subscribe to our newsletter to get all the latest insights from the Deconstructor of Fun content creators. Thanks for listening.